Oregon's 2024 recruiting class is off to uh, quite the sizzling start, currently top 10 in the country, and it might be getting better really soon. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Today, I've got my man, Max Torres. He's the host of the Ducks Dish Podcast. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated, editor and publisher of Ducks Digest, my man, is out there all the time. You all probably know him by now. Max, how are we doing? Are we ready? And most importantly, is Michael Van Buren going to be an Oregon Duck one day? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Spencer. Uh, Stoked to be back on with you. You know, some people think this is the dead season, but recruiting's ramping up, and and I'm here for all of it, trying to make my way to a, a bunch of showcases this week out here in Southern California, see some top Oregon targets. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fun, fun time, but busy for sure. And, uh, you know, Van Buren's a guy that we should, uh, I think we should talk about on, on this episode. Yeah, we will talk about him. Another recent commit for the Ducks, a blue chipper in the 2024 cycle, highest rated recruit to this point. I doubt it stays that way because things are looking up on the recruiting front. But let's talk about Van Buren first. Oregon's already got a quarterback commit in the 2024 cycle, that of course being Luke Moga, the three-star who has has got some real upside, is a little bit raw in in some sense, but Van Buren, a guy who is a pretty highly sought-after recruit, and Oregon has long been going after him, and, and we've discussed here on the show before, Max, the prospect of taking two quarterbacks in the 2024 recruiting cycle, and, and things are appearing to trend in that direction. What are you hearing? Yeah, so Van Buren's probably the the biggest name right now in terms of, you know, guys that Oregon's in a really good spot with and someone that you have like a lot of tangible recruiting momentum with, um, you know, just to kind of get people up to speed. He was on campus again for the second time in April for that spring game uh, to see Dan Landing and the Ducks again and then compete in the Elite 11 Regional in Eugene the next day, which he tore up, um, you know, really good results, especially in the pro day. But as far as what I'm hearing with Van Buren, you know, it's just it's more positive things and that the Ducks are in a really good spot. I think kind of the the big piece that I'm latching onto right now um, is it seems like I'm hearing that there's some flexibility in that in that commitment date, which was previously set for July 8th. And then you kind of parlay that with how the Ducks are picking up some momentum here. Recently got Luke Moga, uh, Casey Kelly, and then Ify Obadegu, who we're going to talk about a little bit, I think, um, don't want to. Don't want to spoil things too much, but um, Oregon's in a really good spot. You know, he's spoken uh, publicly about how he he really likes uh, Will Stein and that they have a good relationship. He's not afraid to compete, you know, playing for one of the best programs in the country that plays a national schedule every year. That's kind of what you would expect to hear. But I think that it really looks like all the dominoes are kind of falling into place. All the pieces are falling into place for for the Ducks to to land Van Buren, which is which is why I put my prediction in for that uh, yesterday, depending on when this comes out. Um, so I got a, a podcast of my own that you can listen to on that. And then I also have the story, of course, over on Ducks Digest. 
Who are the schools that, that are also going after Van Buren? He's an East Coast kid, so are, are there schools in that footprint that, that are chasing him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he's working from a top three right now. You got Oregon, uh, the home state, Maryland Terrapins. Is that, is that how you yeah, say yep, that? Yeah, yep, yep. How you the, say uh, the, the, ter- the Terrapins. I think they go by the Terps. Yeah, they're, the Terps. They're, tur- they're Turtles. They're, they're turtles, turtles. So It's a cooler, uh, cooler way to say Turtles. Exactly. So you got Oregon, Maryland, um, and then you also have Penn State, which uh, was really Spencer, the, the long-viewed leader for, for quite a while until this past month. Two trips out to Eugene across the country, not easy trips to make, which I kind of think you have to apply a little bit more weight for in a recruitment. Um, and, and that seems like it's really kind of shifted things into Oregon's favor. And then uh, also adding on to that, Penn State recently offered another 2024 quarterback uh, out of uh, Florida. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right this second, but I know he's from Winter Garden. Um, so you would kind of think, you know, what does that say about Penn State and how they kind of view their chances if they're maybe pivoting or at least preparing for a situation in, in which they don't land Van Buren. Um, so that's kind of the latest as far as other schools. And then, you know, the Mike Loxley and the Terps, you have that home state element, you know, close to home, um, depending on where you Actually, now I'm thinking about Washington D.C., but yeah, you have Mike Loxley and the Terps as the in-home, the in-state school, and uh, you know got Under Armour, and uh, you know they, they probably have had the worst seasons of the schools recruiting him at least of late. Well, I, I'm on board, by the way, with Oregon taking a second quarterback in the 2024 cycle. I don't, I don't think that's at all an indictment of uh, Luke Moga because guys can operate on different timelines. You also, you have to think big picture. Like, yeah, you want to be able to go to these kids and uh, make legitimate promises about you're going to have a chance to compete for the starting quarterback job here one day. But you also have to be honest about the fact that, look, one of them could end up transferring or Ty Thompson could transfer or Austin Novosad could transfer in, in the future. You don't really know what, with this sort of stuff, but I think having, you know, more talented guys in that room is certainly better than uh, having fewer, which applies to recruiting big picture as well. And Oregon has now landed their highest rated recruit in the 2024 class, Ify Obadegwu. And there are a couple notable things here, Max. He's a cornerback and he comes from, wait for it, the same high school as Michael Van Buren. How much do you sense that that is, you know, contributing to the confidence that you feel with regards to Van Buren maybe choosing the Ducks? Yeah, I, I think it, it plays a role. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't think it plays a major role, but it's just another part of, you know, the pieces to the puzzle kind of coming together here because one of the uh, questions I like to ask recruits and I'm talking to these guys is what what's the difference when you're getting recruited by another high school player versus a coach? And, you know, some of the things I'll hear is, you know, it's a much more formal approach from a coach. Um, you know, they might be telling you what you want to hear. Um, and, you know, not every coach is genuine in, in recruiting. You know, it's a it's a very no exact science, as I like to say. Uh, but if if you have a guy who you are familiar with on a daily basis, you know, someone you've gone to battle with, even if he's on the other side of the ball, he's going to he's going to give you the real. You know, he's going to tell you what his experience was. Um, I'm pretty sure they've taken a visit to Oregon together at some point because Van Buren's been a repeat visitor. Um, But he's just going to be able to kind of say, you know, this is, hey, this is the pieces that we have in place right now in this class. You can be a big part of that. This is why I committed. This is why I felt like it was the right spot for me. This is why my family felt like it was the right spot for me. 
And then another part of it with, with them being teammates is it, it kind of gives you a, a piece of home, right? Or, you know, a, a, another additional element that can give you some comfort being a cross country commit. Um, because like we've said, those are not easy pulls to get uh, all the way out in, in Western Oregon and Eugene. And um, I, I likened it to a similar example with two Baltimore area guys uh, just a couple cycles ago. Dante Thornton, wide receiver out of Baltimore, and then Damon David, uh, a, a safety out of uh, the Baltimore area. Dante was in the fold early. You know, they talked about being really, really close, you know, best friends. Um, Dante's obviously gone now, but I think that that played part of the role into why Damon wanted to hop into the fold because it was just another another box that Oregon checked. Um, so kind of giving some background there in, in terms of uh, how I think Obadegu's commitment could could further solidify Oregon's chances here with, with Michael Van Buren. Yeah, Alabama was one of the schools after Obadegu, kind of in the running there at the end. Oregon emerges victorious in uh, that particular recruitment at, at this point in time. And I, I think Demetrius Martin just continues to show not just that he's a, a good coach, but a, a great, great recruiter on staff for Dan Lanning and company, who are really shooting for the stars, literally and metaphorically, in the 2024 cycle. And we're going to talk about just how high this recruiting class could go because it's looking really really good and it's still early in the cycle it's looking almost as good as built bars taste yeah see what i did there i tricked you once again they're the best tasting protein bar ever you've got to try them built bars are healthy they taste amazing they're covered in 100 percent real dark chocolate that's right real chocolate they come in unbelievably great flavors i'm a mint brownie guy myself but they've got churro peanut butter brownie cookies and cream everything you need in a protein bar 17 grams of protein only four grams of sugar and 130 calories they've got it all you can go to built.com get your specialty flavors there but you can go to your local walmart get a box of four of cookies and cream in the pharmacy section or go to sam's club get a 13 bar box with hit flavors brownie batter puff and churro puff whichever way you choose to get your next order of built bars go check them out and you can thank me later All right, Max, so this 2024 class for the Ducks is off to, what should we say, a great start, a sizzling start, a hot start, a fantastic start. Like, everything is trending up on the recruiting front, and, you know, Van Buren could be coming, and there's still, you know, so many guys whose timelines are are more prolonged than the guys who have verbally committed uh, to this point, of course, but... Oregon doesn't yet have a, a five-star in this 2024 class, and it's still sitting top 10 nationally. We've talked about how many big-time five-star recruits they had at the spring game or just before, you know, Elijah Rushing and Brandon Baker and uh, just, uh, you know, go go down the list. Dan Lanning and this staff have shown their recruiting chops, but it feels like with this 2024 class, 2023 was excellent, by the way. If, if you're just talking about the high school class and you know the portal matters as well but it was a top 10 class in 2023 ranked number nine uh nationally when compared to uh everywhere else including or everybody else rather including the the transfer portal rank they they finished ninth overall right now the 2024 cycle is sitting at seventh overall of course there's still a long way to go and you still have transfers to factor in but it really feels like top 10 is is looking like the the floor for this recruiting class that that's how it feels right now yeah i mean i I, i'm gonna do a show just talking about the the overall approach by dan lanning and, and and why i think the more that i cover this team the more that i talk to recruits talk to sources 
I think this is going to go down as Oregon's best class in program history. I really yeah. do. I really do. Um, and, and you think about that, you know, there's still a lot of time to go, but look at where they're at already. Number seven with only 11 commits. Um, you're looking at, you know, the, the big picture nationally and they're averaging an average rating of 90.99, which is well in four star territory. Um, so they're just going after some huge names. I think that it's just really falling into place in terms of a timing perspective. All that said, you know, there are some guys that are going to kind of draw things out a little bit more uh, like a Brandon Baker, who I talked to last week. You know, he's looking at more of a December timeline um, and, and he's trying to kind of figure out his uh, official visits. So I think that the the approach from landing and the staff has really paid off. You know, they, they got in early on a lot of guys. Um, I really like how they've used their visits, um, getting some of those unofficial visits earlier in a recruitment. And then as they're getting closer to a decision timeline or a decision rather, then you try to come in and get that last official visit so you can make that last impression and that lasting impression before they go to, you know, put on that hat of wherever they're going to be playing their, their uh, college football. So you also have a national footprint. You have guys from all over the country. Uh, you know, you have some guys in your state and um, in AJ Pugliano and, and Trent Ferguson have some studs out of Southern California with, with, uh, you know, Jordan Anderson being the main guy there. Um, and then you also go across the country out to, to Baltimore with Obadegu and then up to the Northeast with um, Tysier Denmark out of Philly. So I think that that's just really building the momentum and the hype around this class. And it looks like June 23rd is probably shaping up to be one of their big official visit weekends in the month of June. Um, keeping in mind, Spencer, that July is a dead period. So um, that's why some of these visits between now we're seeing guys starting to take official visits now here, even in the spring. And then between now and the end of June are going to be so, so pivotal. And you're seeing some big time guys like uh, Dylan Williams, who I just talked to yesterday at Long Beach Poly. He's one of their top linebacker targets. He's going to be on campus for an official visit in June. Dakota Fields out of Gardena Sarah, a top corner target for Demetrius Martin. He's going to be on campus in June. So I think they're just really, really being very, you know, strategic in their approach. And uh, I think they're doing all the right things right now. And, and geographically, you look at the reach that this staff has clearly got the capability of, of going to. And it's encouraging when you talk about the upside of, of what the recruiting potential really is across the board, right? Obviously, Dan Lanning's at the center of it, but it's about position coaches. It's about, you know, coordinators. Will Stein is a quarterback coach. Yeah, he's going to be the biggest guy that's involved with, with Michael Van Buren's recruitment, probably more than than Dan Lanning, frankly. Demetrius Martin is going after all these uh, defensive backs, and Tosh Lupoy's big on the defensive line. You know, we saw that in the 2023 cycle with guys like Johnny Bowens and Amari Washington and Ashton Porter and just, you know, keep going uh, up and down the list and whatnot. But Oregon with 11 commits so far in the 2024 cycle, eight of them are four-star guys. And, and three of them are three-star guys. And, and I think that's just a testament to the standard that they have set and want to continue to set on the recruiting trail, that they feel that they can go anywhere in the country, get a player that they want uh, to, to come and play for the Ducks. And it doesn't really matter where, where they're at because you've got states ranging from you know, Oregon, Washington, California, and Arizona to you know, Texas, Maryland, and, and, and Pennsylvania out here. So I think that that's a, a testament, not just to the, the the brand that Oregon's established on the recruiting trail, but also the, the commitment that these coaches have to, 
to making recruiting a big priority for for the program. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And we've seen previous Oregon staffs take that national approach and, and Dan Lanning's picking right up where they left off. Um, I think, you know, one more guy that we maybe is two guys actually that are worth a quick mention. Um, is this show coming out Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Thursday show, Thursday show. Okay. So we're heading into the weekend, you know, at that point, um, you know, Friday junior, um, and two guys, you got to keep an eye on. You got Gary Bryant jr. Uh, the wide receiver transfer from USC. He's Mm -hmm. supposed to be announcing his decision on Saturday, May 13th. Um, and I really love where the ducks are at there. So, so don't be surprised if, if Gary Bryant jr. Ends up a duck. We'll have to see though. Um, and then uh, another name that is uh, kind of picking up some steam with Oregon of late is offensive lineman Jacon McCroy out of uh, Pinson, Alabama, Clay Chalkville High School. Um, you know, Pinson is a, a notable city for a couple reasons. You know, Bo Nix is from there. Tez Johnson played out there with Bo Nix as well. Um, and then just the state of Alabama, you also have five-star edge rusher Jordan Ross, who I think the Ducks are in phenomenal shape for after an awesome spring game visit that that saw him spending a lot of time with jury on Dickey and the rest of those coaches. So, um, you know, I got to do some more digging on McCroy, but he's another big national name, you know, four-star guy just outside the top 10 at his position and the top 10 guy in the state of Alabama. So, um, you know, another name that you got to watch there as, as a leak Terry, you know, assembles his first offensive line class as the offensive line coach out there in Eugene. Let's uh, let's shift off recruiting for for the last uh, bit of the show here. I wanted to ask you about something I discussed on on the pod yesterday with regards to Oregon's defense, because recruiting is is all great and fine. But at some point you do want it to translate to on field results. That's kind of how this wonderful marriage between recruiting and and football uh, work out in an ideal world as a as a sports fan, of course. But last year, Oregon's defense was basically eh. 75th ish nationally depends on which metric you look at but they were in the 70s in points yards and passing yards allowed per game they were much much better against the run they were terrible on on third down the only schools someone asked about sacks the other day the only schools that had fewer sacks in the conference than oregon a year ago all had losing records arizona colorado and arizona state and all three by the way had horrific defenses. So when you look at the Ducks and the players they've added, Jordan Birch and Kyrie Jackson, Evan Williams, Taishim Johnson, Justin Jacobs, the guy, Mateo Uyungule, all the newcomers who figure to have an impact at, at some level or another. And based on what we saw in the spring game, looks like the defense has a chance to be better, particularly up front along uh, the defensive line. What are your your kind of goals and expectations for Oregon in terms of where you think they need to rank nationally or what sorts of numbers they need to put up in 2023 to be an improved unit to the point where Oregon can return to the Pac-12 championship game in a loaded, offensively driven Pac-12? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. And, and you definitely want to see statistical improvements uh, across the board, I think, in you know, just about – I think – Oregon's run defense was great, but it also kind of, you know, failed them when it mattered most. And, you know, looking at that Oregon State game, obviously, right? Um, but I think you obviously want to see, you know, I, I don't know, there's certain markers that I have in mind. I mean, wh- where they were at last year was was definitely not acceptable. So 
I think, you know, at least in the Pac-12, you want to be maybe like top three in sacks is, is something I would throw out there because I mean, they're very well positioned to have probably the best D line in the pack. I don't think that's I don't think that's unrealistic, but it's worth mentioning. You know, USC added some good pieces in Bear yeah, Alexander. I was going to say USC Anthony added Lucas. Bear Alexander and then the guy from Texas A&M whose name is eluding me right Anthony now. Lucas. Yeah, and, yeah, Anthony Lucas. Those are those are big time additions up there on, on on the front line. And USC was a great set. And by the way, it's not just about sacks though. USC was second in the conference in sacks last year, and their defense stunk. So it's it's a component where Oregon needs to improve, but it's certainly not the be all end all for whether or not you have a good defense. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, just to kind of continue on some of those areas, I, I think you got to generate more takeaways. I think last year was was entirely too reliant on Christian Gonzalez. I mean, that wasn't the approach, but when it came to takeaways, he was usually the guy doing it, right? You know, you had Mace Funo with that pick six against Wazoo, um, but but they weren't generating that many turnovers. And I think with, especially with the talent that they've added to the roster, the overall talent on the roster and the, the comfortability with the scheme, you know, from year one to year two under Landing and Lapoy, I think that, you know, there's understandably, uh, you know, greater expectations as there should be. Um, and I also think that you have to look at defending the run needs to continue to be, uh, you know, a hallmark of this defense. Um, and then, you know, just even if we're not talking about sacks overall, I think you just need more pressure and more havoc. You know, the havoc rate is, is mm-hmm. something that I think is an important stat to look at because sacks don't always tell the whole story, but that was a huge part of the story last year. So I think some, those are some of the markers um, you know, third down conversion, you, you definitely need to get better there. Um, and then I also think, you know, maybe a, I don't even know where they ranked in this one because it's so hard to track, but there were a lot of missed tackles last year, Spencer. So, um, you know, things were looking a little bit better uh, in the spring game. But again, you can't draw too much from that. I really liked what I saw from Jamal Hill. Like we talked on your show, I think, about that open field tackle on Bucky, which is not easy to do. Yeah. Um, so it looks like just with guys being in the right place and looking more comfortable and flying to the ball, that that should be an area we expect improvement in. But, you know, we got a lot of time between now and that season opener against Portland State. And then the more notable game where we'll kind of get a better litmus test against Texas Tech in week two. Yeah, I, I agree that you, you can have takeaways after the Portland State game, but the Texas Tech game will be kind of the most telling with regards to how we're feeling. Because Texas Tech, a solid Big 12 team, right? Like above average, they were an eight-win team a year ago, beat Ole Miss in in their bowl game and had a really, really nice season. You're playing them at Lubbock. Like if your defense can play well out there uh, against former Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck, who's you know, a respectable, serviceable starter, but nothing special. Like, I'll be concerned if Shuck goes out and torches us for 350 yards, even if we win the game. If he, you know, I, I've seen what he's capable of, and I've also seen what he's not capable of. And if he goes out and dominates you through the air and you win the game, you know, 38, 34 or, or whatever, I would come away saying that's not a great place for, for the defense to be because that's a guy who I think you should be able to hold you know, under 250 yards uh, through the air because he's, you know, again, a good, solid, serviceable power five quarterback, but he, he's not exactly Caleb Williams or uh, or Michael Penix out there. A couple of stats before I pivot to my last question for you today here, Max. Oregon allowed 27 and a half points per game last year, 380 yards per game, and they recorded 18 sacks. And those numbers were uh, ninth in the Pac-12 in in sacks, their points per game. They were actually fifth 
but I, I'd like to see them, you know, maybe move that under 25 points a game and then yards per, they were, uh, I believe, seventh in, in the conference, the Pac-12 stats. Sadly, don't let me organize it by whatever stat I'm uh, looking for here. But I think, you know, benchmarks for real tangible progress, get under 25 points a game, especially given your schedule, right? You don't have a Georgia on there who's going to, you know, in, inflate your numbers a little bit. Like your non-conference games are a good but in inferior overall program in, in Texas Tech, a team that's capable of beating you for sure, but is Texas Tech football as consistently good as Oregon? No. Like, you you should be favored in that game. Portland State and Hawaii, those should be dominant defensive outings. And then you have Arizona State on the schedule. They're rebuilding. Colorado rebuilding. Stanford rebuilding. Cal, never that great, though they might be better at quarterback or whatnot. I, I feel like under 25 points a game, Get under 350 yards allowed per game. Just bring it closer down to 300 and and have at least, gosh, I'd say at least 25 sacks, but really in the 30 range is kind of what, what I'm shooting for for those particular numbers. What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I think all those are, are are pretty reasonable. I mean, yeah, thir- you said under, you said 25 points a game, under 25 points a game. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's where I like to see them go to. And rushing yards allowed per game, they were 125 last year. That was fourth in the Pac-12 you replicate that success, you're doing great. Yeah, no, I, I think those are good. I mean, and when we talk about under 25, I think we can both agree that it'd be healthier to be closer to 20 than, uh, you know, 24, I guess. Yeah. Um, just given the talent, again, that they have. Um, and, and I think that um, it's probably worth, you know, it's fair to say that, you know, the expectations are higher for the defense than the offense, um, you know, heading into 2023, even though the offense, I think, is going to be pretty darn good with the pieces that are coming back, most notably Bo Nix. But um, I, I think there's definitely more pressure on Lanny and, and Tosh Lapoy than there is on Will Stein, um, just because we've seen that the floor of the Oregon offense, at least under Dan Lanning, since he got hired, is higher than than the defense. And the defense is entering a prove-it year, no doubt about it. Um, you know, all that to say, we have to give them a shout-out, I think, for that game against Utah, because I think that was yep. one game last year where you can say without a doubt the defense won that game. Yes, but they did. They you, you need the to you need to be able to go into that into the next season with your defense being able to put up points for you, generating turnovers, start drives in great field position, and be a difference maker and not be a liability. Which I maybe that is that too harsh to say for Oregon last year that the defense was a liability. I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know about liability. I I would say that. They they Are this guy a difference maker. Yeah, they didn't instill confidence like. I'm a Seahawks fan, and when the Legion of Boom was rolling, every time a punt or a kickoff team had the other team inside the 20 or 25-yard line, I felt confident that it was going to be a stop. Like, Oregon was going to get the ball back, and or the Seahawks were going to get the ball back and not allow any points. And that's where, you know, I feel like Oregon's defense just hasn't been since 2019. By the way, quick trivia before we uh, end with one final question today, Max. In 2019, which I always refer to as Oregon's last great defense, and the numbers certainly bear that out. Do you know how many points per game Oregon's defense allowed in 2019? Oh, I don't, but I want to try to guess. So give me just a second here because you're putting me on the spot. So I'm going to try to just think out loud here. You said 25 under 25 would be a healthier number um, for Oregon. Um, I'm trying to think back to the 2019 season. You you had KT, you had Troy Dye. 
Um, and the secondary was really good with Javon. Secondary Holland. was loaded. Javon Holland, um, Ron McKinley, Brady Breeze, Diamondor Lenore, Thomas Graham. Okay, and Mikael Wright. And a true uh, freshman, Mikael Wright, yep. Um, which was probably his best season at Oregon, we it might was. add. Um, okay, all that, I'm just buying myself time. I'm going to go <laughs> with, how about 22? Lower. Really? Okay. Um, 15.7. Oh, my God. Wow, I was way off. No, yeah, I mean, that that just goes to your like, point. Like, it's, I feel like, I'd be curious to see how much, landing in this defensive staff are, are drawing back to, to that year because notably different roster makeup, um, you know, particularly maybe at defensive back. Um, but I'm just, I'd be, I'm really curious. Like that's like, if I could talk to landing in this, you know, defensive staff, it's like, Hey, you look at 2019, how is their approach similar to your approach? How is it different? Um, you know, you had a guy like KT who didn't really even start until the back half of the season um versus you're going in with jordan birch who should be uh, a starter for you um you know no doubt there so i i just be curious what the what the similarities and, and carryover uh, are in yeah. that uh between those two seasons I, I i think that's something we might have to explore on a future episode of of the show but yeah when you look at what oregon's defense has been since then 2020 lost andy avalos defense allows 28 points per game now is a weird season so okay chalk it up to that 25 and a half in 2021 and then it actually took a step back a bit 27.4 now i think the georgia game is inflating that of course um but you know it means that oregon's defense wasn't ready to be at that at that sort of level at that point in time so that that's where i think the ceiling kind of is defensively you can allow less than less than 20 points a game. i think it's harder now because offenses are are so darn good but the thing i wanted to ask you to wrap up today's show max was a question that came in i also talked about on yesterday's show besides the obvious rivalry games with Oregon State and Washington what is the one game that would give you the greatest sense of uh, satisfaction or excitement if it ended in a blowout Oregon victory all right I'm, I'm gonna give you two answers because I think the first one's really obvious and that's USC uh, I mean, just I know that Oregon fans would. And it was probably, not obvious to me yesterday when I was answering the question. Like I thought about it and I came oh. in and I was leaning. I was saying Texas Tech. And then as I was answering, I was like, wait a minute. USC's on the schedule. The answer is USC. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's like probably the most popular answer because, you know, you can send them out of the Pac-12 with a loss. Um, you know, maybe at that point in the season, you're in you know early to mid-November. Maybe you can shake up the Pac-12 title game picture and maybe keep them out of that possibly. Um, so I know Oregon fans want the the Trojans to leave the Pac-12 with a sour taste in their mouth. So that's why I think that one's the easiest one to say. But I, I kind of feel like I want to go Utah here with this one. You know, they're they're back-to-back Pac-12 champions. Um, they the Ducks won last year, but it was a really close game, awesome game. Um, I, you know, they're feeling confident out there in, in Salt Lake City. I think that they're a team that's quietly gaining ground on the recruiting trail, you know, not with the likes of Oregon from a ranking standpoint, but Kyle Whittingham's always been a guy that does more with less. But if I think they're kind of starting to figure things out now and, you know, they just get the right kind of guy. So I think that they could definitely be uh, one of the more dangerous teams in the Pac-12, you know, alongside Oregon and, and Washington once USC and UCLA leave and that game's in Salt Lake city, just think of if you can blow out Salt Lake or you can blow out um, Utah in Rice Eccles stadium, 
Like that would just be, that would be such a huge statement because Oregon hasn't been the team that's been awesome on the road. I think they kind of got over that a little bit last year. Um, but, but I think I, I'm going to go with Utah uh, as you know, the game that I would most like to see a blowout in Oregon's favor. I think it'd be mighty impressive. Nobody's beaten Rice Eccles when it's, uh, or beaten Utah at Rice Eccles Stadium when it's at uh, full capacity, I believe since 2018. It, it has been a long time since, since when they're able to put fans in that stadium, uh, which they have been for, of course, a while now. It has been a long time since anybody's won in there. I would take a victory no matter how it came, but I'm with you that it would be a mighty fun to see it go that way. Max Torres is the host of the Ducks Dish podcast. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. He's the editor and publisher of Ducks Digest. My man is everywhere. He's on this show all the time. Max, appreciate the collaboration as always, my man. Appreciate you, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. I got to bring you, maybe I'll bring you on my show this week, depending on what your, your schedule is looking like, but we can talk about that off air. But no, nah, man, it's it's always love. Appreciate you having me on and appreciate all the Duck fans for for tuning in and, you know, the, the continued support on my end. It's, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah, you're the man, Max. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.